time when film criticism is as provocative as ever, Feelin' Film ventures to change the discussion from what we hate about a film to what we love about it. We judge more on emotional experience than technical merit, because every movie makes us feel something. Hey, Patch. Hey, white bread. What do you reckon we call ourselves the Magnificent Two? I reckon that would be just fine. Well then, in honor of our 25th episode anniversary, you are listening to the Feelin' Film Podcast, hosted by the Magnificent Two, Aaron Whitebread White and Patch Hicks. It's good to be here, Aaron. Well, thank you all for tuning in. <laughs> oh, you had to kill it. <laughs> I didn't. I'm sorry. I it's just okay. I don't think we could. I don't think we could go a whole podcast without you know <laughs> doing that. I can't do that accent very long. <laughs> I know, and I think that somebody else out there is probably laughing right now. I hope they are. <laughs> uh, so yeah, thank you guys for tuning in this week. Uh, we get a little bit crazy, I guess, when we watch westerns. It's fun to role play them, uh, and you. This is giving us an opportunity to do that. So we appreciate you being here listening this week. We're looking forward to a really good conversation about the fun new Western remake uh, from director Antoine Fuqua. Fuqua! Love that name. That's fantastic. I feel like a ninja every time I say it. (laughs) (laughs) If this is your first time listening, uh, we wanted to alert you that we do start off our show by catching up on what we've been watching and doing lately. So if you ever want to skip that stuff and go straight to our featured film review, you can find the timestamp in the show notes and go right to the start of it. Well, it's been pretty amazing so far. So (laughs) if I do say so myself. (laughs) Two thumbs up for this guy. I love it. (laughs) It's still surreal sometimes that we've made it this far. I mentioned earlier, you know, this is our 25th episode anniversary. What? I know. Isn't it crazy? (laughs) It sounds like a battle cry. Um (laughs) And, dude, it's just, it's so cool. I'm so grateful to have been able to do this with you, like, each and every week for the last 25 weeks. Um, And, of course, we wouldn't really be here if no one wanted to listen. So the best or the biggest thanks goes out to all of you right now uh, listening to this episode and those of you not listening to this episode who listen to all of our other episodes and just haven't gotten around to this one yet. But we we truly do... uh, or we just we live in this amazed space day to day that um, we have the opportunity to do this, and Patrick and I are constantly talking about how humbled and grateful we are that someone out there wants to hear this and that we have a chance to hopefully bring different perspectives out yeah. that maybe you have yourself or that you want to hear about, and yeah. it's it's pretty cool. Yeah, I I think the thing for me personally that I really enjoy is that like you, you are you are into the podcast community before I was. I mean, mm-hmm. we talked a little bit about this or that, and you'd recommend an episode to me, and of course I'd put it in my backlog and maybe get to it, maybe not. But the thing that I've enjoyed so much about this, besides just doing this with you every week and just talking about things that we normally talk about anyway, is the fact that we've built this community of people that we talk about this stuff with. Not only within the feeling film community but also between the the uh the edges of other podcasts like popcorn theology and retro rewind and real world theology and these other 
just identities of people doing what we love um, alongside us in their in their their own particular niche, and it's just just great, and it's great to be you know become part of that big podcast family. It really is. It really, really is. So you know, this is twenty five, uh, and here's to the next twenty five. Uh, excited to see where it takes us, and what amazing films we'll get to talk about. <laughs> I'm going to raise my whiskey bottle to that one. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll toast. <laughs> I'll toast. And by whiskey uh, bottle, I mean my Tervis uh, full of tea. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we are not good cowboys, sir. No, we're terrible. <laughs> with well, names like White Bread and Patch, you just you can't yeah, expect much. We're not invoking much fear with those, are we? <laughs> not like Good Night. Good Night's a nice good cowboy oh, name, right? <laughs> yeah, it really is. Oh, man. Well, b- before we get there uh and get into that so this last week i have done some research uh i have long 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 wanted to see seven samurai which is the classic uh, kurosawa film that inspired the original magnificent seven movie from 1960 uh this film is exactly what it says about seven samurai uh, who end up coming together to defend a village from bandits that are raiding their food supplies. And I've never been one to love the old Asian samurai genre. Um, it just, it's not something that I've watched a lot of as a kid and I, I haven't jumped into that and embraced it. So I was a little worried. This one was over three hours long. Uh, it's black and white. <laughs> it's, subtitled so lots of potential distractions for this movie Um, but i gotta tell you for a film that is quite often regarded to be in the you know pantheon of top five top ten all-time ever created movies it held up incredibly well to that standard i thoroughly enjoyed it um you know it was a little bit off the wall for me at times but i put it in perspective for when it was made and what it was doing, and I can completely respect the film for what it accomplished in the world of cinema. It's kind of amazing because the Seven, the seven Samurai movie actually, in a, in a lot of ways, feels like it could have been made in this day and age. Not so much when it comes to fight scenes. They're very bare bones. There's not CGI, of course. But from a filmmaking technique perspective, Kurosawa was doing things so far ahead of his time. And then from a storytelling perspective, uh, it it just blew what we were currently seeing in American cinema out of the water. Uh, This the Seven Samurai is the the beginnings of what you would call the crew up film genre, I guess. Um, Maybe different words for that, but it really started that trend of having this group of people come together uh, from different backgrounds to accomplish something. You know, and so Magnificent Seven uh, was remade, same exact story almost as a western, a few years later in Hollywood here. Uh, but every every superhero movie follows this exact same formula. You know, things like Ocean's Eight, Ocean's Eleven. Those is there is there, is there an Ocean's Eight? Did I make that up? <laughs> I think that's a prequel that never got made. <laughs> I think that's the one with the the ladies that's going to be coming out. The the uh, no, the female he, version I think is going to be called Ocean's Eight. Part of that's a true statement. I don't know if it's called Ocean's 8, but whatever. But there is yeah. one coming, yeah. Well, I believe so, yeah. Okay, well, somebody will tell me if I'm wrong. But 
movies like that, uh, you know, this formula has been used over and over. So I will say I will probably never watch Seven Samurai again. It just was so long and, and such a an experience, but I'm so glad that I, I got to do that. And then the other thing that I did is I watched The Magnificent Seven from 1960, rewatched that. So I grew up on that movie, um, and, and we can get into this a little more once we hit our main review too, but I, I grew up, my dad loved Westerns. He was a huge Yule Brenner and Steve McQueen fan. They were both in this one. Um, so I watched it multitude of times, but I had not watched it as an adult and definitely not as the film buff that I am now uh, with a different eye for what I'm watching. So I rewatched it, loved it, just loved it all over again. Probably a niche below Seven Samurai, total, total package speaking, um, but such cool nods to the original Seven Samurai. I mean, it was it was so mu- so well done to take almost the exact same story and just transplant it into a different era. Uh, so I, I thoroughly enjoyed my time with that one as well, and I'm glad. I mean, I, it it both. I guess it both hindered and hurt, or that's the same thing. It both hindered and helped my experience going into the Magnificent Seven remake. Um, so I will want to talk about that more in detail when we get there and, and what specifically it did. But overall, I got to say, man, I'm glad that I went and watched those two movies because they're both great movies and they're both worthy of anyone watching either one of them or both of them. Mm, they're on my list. I put them on the list <laughs> and um, I think that part of me wanted to watch them this week, mm-hmm. but like most things, I just don't have the time. And um, the other reason is I really wanted to experience this movie, the Magnificent Seven, the 2016 version fresh, like as a new first time, never heard the story like you. I tried to avoid most of the trailers um, and you know, some I couldn't, but you know, again, we'll get into it. So I did have a chance to catch a new series on NBC and I sort of, I sort of, um, gave some marketing to this a couple of months ago. It had the trailer for it had debuted on Facebook. My wife had sent it to me and I was just like, Oh my gosh, this is going to be really good. It's a series called this is us. And if you guys are part of our Facebook group, you know, <laughs> you know that that uh, I I was not disappointed by the pilot episode of this show. If uh, if you, if you don't know about it, it's a, an ensemble television series about a group of people who share the same birthday. That's the the general synopsis of it. It um, has a very if you're know, uh, familiar with the show Parenthood, it's got a very very Parenthood feel to it. It's a great cast. Uh, it's uh, led by um, Mandy Moore and Milo Ventimiglia. Good and job. That's uh, <laughs> on saying his name. Or I'm, glad, like, I'm glad that I didn't have to say his name. <laughs> he's become uh, he's become a, a, a favorite actor of mine. I like I like him and a lot of the stuff that he does. Uh, but uh, Justin Hartley's in it. You've probably known him from things like uh, Smallville or uh, daytime television. <laughs> and just there's a, just a, a bunch of others, probably like three or four, but they all have this, uh, have this common, uh, common trait of sharing the same birthday. So I got on Facebook 
and I said, if you haven't seen this, please go see it. Do yourself a favor. Take the next 45 minutes and make yourself really happy. All period, the period feels. And I was so glad when I saw you say, mm-hmm. I'll check this out. Because I know you're not much of a television watcher. I know that you've got your own life and, and movies are really kind of the, the main form of uh, visual entertainment besides gaming that, that you're into. So to know that you decided to check out the pilot really made me happy. Good. Well, you know, I, your recommendations obviously come at the highest uh, level for me. So when you recommend something that highly, I know it's, it's worth me checking out. Uh, because I, I know your taste and I understand what you like. Um, and I know that you would not pr- in particular recommend something for me that you didn't think that I would like too. So we know each other well enough to have that relationship. And you're right. I am not a sitcom guy. I, I'm not, I, I don't, I don't love them. And, and to me, this is a sitcom. Uh, I don't know what you would call it. I guess that's what I call it. It's a reoccurring, you know, a, dr- a dramedy, dramedy. You know, a drama. Yeah. A drama. Yeah. These are not my, my type of shows. I, I mean, I can watch them when I'm with someone that has one on and I can enjoy it and laugh at an episode here and there, but I've never cared enough to sit down and follow a story line all the way through. But this was amazing. This was <laughs> everything you made it out to be and more. I was completely blown away uh, by it, by both the premise of it and by, uh, the acting in it, I thought the acting was fantastic. Loved all of the characters. Loved the the way the story wove itself together over the course of the episode. Um, loved Major Dad's role in this. <laughs> his <laughs> name, I think his name is Gerald McCraney, I believe. But seriously, that's what I remember from his Major Dad, and it was it, it was bringing back memories from my childhood. And it just it's a great story, and and you nailed it when you said all the feels, and we that can be overused easily. We can overhype stuff when we say things like that but this one people if you have not watched the the episode the pilot episode of this is us yet the second one should probably be out by the time you're listening to this most likely um i think it comes out on monday nights right patrick uh it's mondays or tuesdays i believe it's mondays okay so it's early in the week but please at least watch the pilot of this show if you if you don't continue watching it i I don't think you're gonna miss out on anything but honest to god the pilot of this show to me could have been a 45 minute long movie. Like it's that good as a self-contained storyline with a nice little cliffhanger. It's that good. And so it will make you smile. It will make you laugh. It will make you get teary. It will do all of those things. It will make your, will make you think it's a brilliantly done pilot and probably the best one I've seen in years. So I'm thankful that you recommended it. Yeah. One thing I wanted to say, um, it, it premiered last Monday, but I believe either it's going to, Redebut like on the 11th of October. Uh, NBC, I think, is doing a bunch of their um, just kind of preview week. I think that was what they were doing this week was their preview week. So it's not actually beginning like the full season for another couple of weeks. So you have a chance to catch the uh, the first episode on demand or, or whatever, and uh, it might even show up, you know, at a random time on NBC at some point. But yeah, any any way you can get a chance to watch it, please do. Agree completely. And and about that ending, man, I, I guess we just won't talk about it here. I, no, was, we I, won't. I kind of wanted to. I wanted to spend some time getting into it and, and well, discussing it. But let's let's not, you know, yeah. let's wait. And maybe, you know, a couple episodes in, if the show still has us hooked, we'll we'll do a little bit mini, mini talk on that whole. Yeah, it, it, I'll, I'll just say this. The 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 ending 
was phenomenal, but it was really icing on the cake for just a very good episode. If, if, if that reveal had not happened, um, which the show really could have continued, but you know, whatever, if the reveal hadn't happened, there was enough in the episode that made me go, I'm ready for the next episode. Oh yeah, absolutely. I was already fully invested regardless of, of anything that happened in the last couple seconds or a couple minutes of the movie or movie TV show. So (laughs) yeah, definitely, definitely check it out everybody. All right. Well, is there anything else you want to dive into before we, before we go, go full forward on this one? No, I'm as ready as I'll ever be for this. Okay. As always, there are spoilers ahead and this one in particular has some significant ones. So uh, really, if you haven't seen this or the, uh, the 19, 70s 70s 60s yeah i'm i'm actually gonna be probably spoiling a lot of the seven samurai in 1960s but it's (laughs) it's so much of a remake that it won't hurt your experience i don't think but but do know there there are spoilers for those three films coming yeah all right all right so uh yeah go ahead well you want me to start thanks appreciate that (laughs) way to lob the grenade my direction boom (laughs) you know that's gonna be our new thing is fuqua it's It's good it's so good so good good. um all right well here's the thing number one as i mentioned i loved the original magnificent seven and grew up on it so going into this film i had one immediate set of expectations uh that it was going to live up to that movie I, i could not not have that expectation due to my previous experience with that film so i couldn't separate myself from that and i don't i don't think it was possible uh so for anyone else who had been a fan of the original going into it i think that that's something you've got to deal with and you've got to you've got to work through it on your own how you're going to allow it to affect your experience um and then some some things are just gonna you're not going to be able to control but that's that's kind of one thing that was big for me as i went into it with that kind of background uh, number two, I absolutely was stoked for this film. This was one of my most anticipated movies of the year. So it was way up there on the hype meter for me. Denzel and Fuqua. I'm, I, now I know I'm saying it wrong and I'm doing it on purpose. So I am very sorry. <laughs> I can't help myself. I think it's Fuqua. Probably less uh, enunciated. But <laughs> but I'm just going to say Fuqua. It's our show. We can do it. Yeah, we want. it is. It is, dadgummit. <laughs> so I-, I loved Training Day. One of my absolute favorite films i love 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 the movie so this is a reunion of denzel and he this is a reunion of denzel and ethan hawk ethan hawk is one of my favorite actors of all time like he's in my top five ever as that's how big of a deal ethan hawk is to me then you add in chris pratt right who is phenomenal in almost everything as chris pratt i'll get to that um (laughs) and the rest of the cast it was so it was such a great diverse cast it had I thought it was brilliantly cast. So I was excited about all of these things. And then on top of all of that, number three, I went to this one with one of my best friends uh, here in Seattle. And we've been wanting to go to movies together for a long time, uh, but I haven't been able to get him to the theater. This one, I got him out to the theater. So here I am with him next to me. And I am hoping against hope that he has a great experience because I want this to be a thing. Like I want this to continue. I want to have a, a movie buddy <laughs> to go to go to the movies with since Patrick's not located with me. <laughs> um, and so there were, I, I guess, I guess all I'm, what I'm trying to say is to wrap this up here is 
my expectations for the Magnificent Seven were nigh unfair um, to some extent, probably. That it, I had, I wanted so much out of this that I don't even know if I could describe exactly what it should have done to reach my expectations. <laughs> so I have to frame everything with that background for you, because oh, you got something? No, I was just, I, I was just nodding in in okay i just want to make sure affirmation you can jump in and and (laughs) stop me anytime but my experience was not a good one i did not thoroughly enjoy it um i didn't hate it i wasn't wanting to walk out of the theater anything crazy like that there were moments of enjoyment but because of my expectations i was watching it with a very much much more critical eye I think than I watch a lot of films with and I just wasn't feeling it. Um, and so the, the biggest feeling I got out of this was disappointment. And so uh, I, uh, I, I wanted to, I want to read a quote before, before I finish here with my initial thoughts, I want to read a quote or mini review that I found online that I think expresses how I walked out of the theater very well. And this, this little mini review is by Tasha Robinson. Some of you may know her. She's a, a very well-regarded uh, podcaster and film reviewer. Uh, she works currently for The Verge and uh, does a show called The Next Picture, Picture Show. Brilliant mind. What she wrote is, My general rubric is, if you have nothing new to bring to a story except, hey, these are the current actors telling this same story, don't do it especially if the story has been remade this many times. Chris Pratt gets to be adorable, and Denzel Washington gets to be tough, which is all well and fine. But so much of this film is just watching mooks get shot and waiting for the horrible, horrible voiceover at the end, announcing to us that, yes, in fact, these seven certainly were magnificent. That is exactly how I walked out of this man. I struggled to get through it because I just was not connecting at all. Yeah. So what and about you? <laughs> <laughs> Great show, guys. We'll, uh, we'll see you next week on Feeling Film, so stay positive. On feeling crappy. <laughs> I know. I, 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 before, hang on one second. Before, before you jump in, I do want to say to listeners, this is a unique episode for us right here, and if you have been a long-time show listener, you know me as the overly positive guy. I am the guy every movie is five stars. Um, you know, (laughs) every, every video game is the best game I've ever played. Every new food I taste is literally the nectar of the gods. That is me. That's my personality. So this is probably somewhat jarring to hear me very outwardly say, I just did not have a good time with this. Um, but we want to stay honest and that's, that's what Patrick and I have really aimed for here is, uh, an honest, positive look at our experience. I, I'm not going to bash this film because I don't think it's a bad film, if that is if that makes sense. So I want to just preface that up front. That's not what's going to happen this episode, is I'm not going to sit here and talk crap about it and say it should have done X, Y, and Z, and it was awful because it didn't. But I do need to be very honest about how I experienced it based on my expectations and what my disappointments were um, and why I had them. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you make valid points 
all of your points are incredibly valid. I'm going to take that from a reverse perspective, and I'm going to mention Ocean's Eleven, the uh, the remake of the 1960s Rat Pack movie. I watched Ocean's Eleven, one of my favorite movies ever. Uh, even like the subsequent sequels that uh, that came after it, mostly because of the all star cast, the writing was great. I mean, we can go on and on about our love for that. And afterwards, a couple of weeks later, I decided, let me check out the 1960s. Let me check out the, the movie that, in, that this was remade from. And I had kind of the same reaction that you did to the new one as I did to the old one. And it had to do with the fact that this is my Ocean's Eleven. I mean, if I could just put my finger on just sum, summing up my idea, this was my Ocean's Eleven. Mm-hmm. And when The Magnificent Seven was announced... I talked to my dad about it and he said, oh yeah, Steve McQueen, Yul Brenner, just great. And then reading more about Kurosawa's Seven Samurai and my first reaction was, dude, I need to see these. I need to see what the hype's all about. And then I called back to my experience with Ocean's Eleven and I said, you know, I'm going to go ahead and let this be my Magnificent Seven. I want my first experience with this story to be with this cast, with the Denzel Washington, with the Chris Pratt, with the Ethan Hawke, guys that I have learned to love in the roles that they have really exhibited. Um, every time I see Ethan Hawke, I can't help but think of the little kid standing on a desk going, oh, Captain, my captain, from Dead Poet Society. Oh, yeah. And so when I went into this movie, I had no recollection about past um, you know, remakes or originals. And so I didn't have the, the just unintentional bias for that. And I wonder, just as a side note, if I go and watch the 1960s rendition or even Seven Samurai, am I going to be able to give it an honest viewing or am I going to be sort of crippled by the fact that I'm supposed to like these movies because they're classics. I, I think that's a very valid question. And, and I, so, I would wager you very well might be bored. And I, and I think that there's, there's a sense when it comes to duplication of stories, particularly remakes of ideas, re- remakes of stories, um, there's that tendency to, to run into those issues, either a de-appreciation for the latest and greatest or a de-appreciation for the classic original. And, and that's, it's, it's, it's reality, but it's a, it's a little bit unfair, (laughs) particularly to an audience that likes the 2016 version of something of this particular one, or to guys like my dad who loved the, the original. And I say the original, I mean the original seven, uh, the original Magnificent Seven, not the necessarily inspired version. This, this movie has an interesting history because it was inspired by one movie and then it got its subsequent remake. And I don't know of a lot of films that do that <laughs> where they have an inspirational first film and then they have a remake that's come along like 25 years later. So this is sort of sitting in its own little weird camp. But my takeaway from this movie was I enjoyed the heck out of it. <laughs> like I really had a good time with it. Um <laughs> thousand body count aside <laughs> i don't know first of all, i'm just gonna say this i don't know where 
one boss man, one villain can have that many people on his side <laughs> without yeah. even holding up a pistol, right? Right. <laughs> the body count was just... I looked at my wife because she went with me and I said, uh, do you think they've killed everybody in this, this in, the, in the entire new territory that they've, they've planted here? Because I don't know that there's anybody else left to, to build anything or to kill because there were just so many people. But for me, the whole experience was was uh was good i really really liked this movie a lot that's awesome i i'm glad i mean i am i am 100 percent glad about that my my friend that i went to the movie with he loved it as well and he had a great experience and that was important for me um because i i wanted him to you know i wanted i wanted to love this film too i wanted to walk out of this thing going this is in my top 10 of the year that's that's how i wanted to feel about it uh so i am I'm so happy that you had a great experience um, with this one and that, that a lot of people have, I mean, a lot of people have connected to this and have enjoyed the heck out of it. So it's, it's such a weird feeling to be on the opposite side of this one. uh, For me, I, do you, do you want to know any of the reasons, the specific reasons? Should I, should I even, should I mention them? Because I mean, there there are definitely good good things about this as well. Um, well, I mean, if I mean, if this is something that you want to validate your 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 vantage point, I think it's perfectly perfectly fine. Again, positive honesty is really kind of where we live when it comes to this show and the magnificent. I'm, I'm going to just real quick. I'm going to address the reviewer that which is a, which is a great. It was a great. Um, review that she made and i think that is it she asked the uh, remind me she asked the question she said does this need to be remade no you know or something like that she gives those reasons yeah what she's saying is if we're only going to change the actors and not tell a different unique story do we need to do this just to put new faces on it every 25 years or whatever right so for me i would say Need to is probably not the best word I would use. I would say want to, absolutely, because you're introducing a new audience to what I call a, a pretty good story. I mean, that story apparently was pretty good 25 years ago when it was made. Granted, it's not necessarily like the most mind-bending Chris Nolan or over-the-top Michael Bay story, but stories don't have to be that. I think there was a, there was a great quote by uh, a guy that I think we both, uh, he's an author, and his name is James Harleman, and he said, ideas aren't new, they're just refreshed. Mm-hmm. And it, you can cheat a little bit with this one because, yes, it, as far as I know from what you've told me, most of what you see in this one and the original is pretty much beat for beat. You know, it's, it's basically a, it's a refreshing, kind of an updated, you know, new cast, new sets, new people, or, or new, but the story's not new. And to me, that's okay because the story itself is a good story. It's, it's an entertaining story. So why not update it? Why not give a fresh audience who have love for certain actors uh, the chance to experience this without necessarily having to go back and watch this? Mm-hmm. I, mean, I mean, yes, the, the original can stand on its own, but I don't see much of an issue with saying, hey, this is worth, this is worth um, refreshing. I'm not going to say retelling because it's, I think, well, maybe it is a retelling. I don't know. It's just... Does it work for every movie? I don't think it does. But if the story's good enough, I think it's I think it's a valid 
reason to to put a fresh coat of paint on it. <laughs> so I do as well. Generally speaking, I absolutely do. I, I didn't have a problem with the remake happening um, in, uh, before it, you know, once it got announced. I thought it was great. I thought the cast was uh, looked very, very positive. It's it's interesting. So I read that quote, and I'm actually going to rebut it a little bit as well because there's it's not. I'm not entirely still at that point. And as I said, when I walked out of the theater, that review captured how I felt about it. Mm-hmm. So since then, I've been able to process, think about the film, um, you know, chew on it, look at themes a little differently than in the moment and try and think about what happened in the movie and compare it in my head to other, the other films. So there are some very stark differences in the story. Honestly, while there are scenes and there are things that are beat for beat, an example, the, uh, the fight between, Billy and whoever, uh, when it ends in a, you know, they're, they're testing each other and the guy wants to fight him to the death. He wants to actually make it a duel. Right. And Billy gets him with a knife that's in magnificent seven. That's an actual scene. So that, that like almost exactly how it plays out is what happens. A little bit differences on the characters and things. Um, but there, there are many moments like that where it is beat for beat the the depth the the main point of the story to me is what changed here so Antoine Fuqua I read an article or interview with him where he said something that actually helped me a little bit in my understanding of what he was doing and he said regarding his changing and updating of the way this story is told he said we're still dealing with people who are abusing other people burning up churches and killing people in the streets. Mm -hmm. That is sobering to me. But what that does is that helps me, even though I don't love it, it helps me respect it more because I then, I have now seen very clearly that what his vision was, even if I didn't see it on screen for myself as well, I know where his heart was and I know what he was aiming for. And so I can look for that now and I can view it a little differently. Mm -hmm. And the things that were, that were the big differences here for me were the things that stuck out that, that really kind of made it a hard experience to, to watch it were just that the original two, the original or the, the magnificent seven and Sam- seven samurai, you're very much talking about a village whose crops are being taken by bandits. Both they're, they're, they're the same, same storylines, right? So you have bandits that are stealing food and they're basically holding it over the villagers' heads. But in this one, we have an evil villain who has a mine and just wants their land and is just saying, no, I want your stuff or I'm going to kill you. And while that kind of, that kind of is the same, you know, it's, it's also a little different because he has money. He has what he needs. He has the means uh, to he doesn't need necessarily he could get away without having their land. Um, he wants it to, to do more and more and more right to expand. But the storyline of the other two revolves around the bandits who need the food to feed their men. And I guess for me, I, it was harder for me to connect with this villains desires because he felt like he, he didn't have a redeeming quality. 
to me. It was selfish for him. It was it was all about what he wanted to just he just wanted to take take take. There was <laughs> there was never any like there was never a semblance of hey we can work together, which in the other films there was. There was lots of you know discussion about we should just let them take our food and we'll be okay. We'll just live on scraps. But that's not an option in this updated film. Their options are leave or die, right? And so that that was hard for me. Um, and it because of that, I felt like it became a revenge story versus a story about a group of people coming together just to help the little man or the the little guy. Um, and obviously that takes place. They are they are coming together to help the little guy, but there was so much more revenge kind of updated into this version that was hard for me as well so i i didn't like those two things and then i did i also didn't like that we were fighting 200 guys with seven um (laughs) you know both of the updated movies that's a double-edged sword that's a double-edged sword we can because the action in this film is probably the best thing about it to me and and it is (laughs) phenomenal like it is awesome you mentioned the body count it's freaking cool <laughs> right like I, now I can watch it all day it's awesome to watch but um, original two we're talking seven people and they are very tactic everything is so tactically done and, and there was tactics in this battle as well but it's so tactical because they're only up against 40 guys and every death is a big deal I mean mm-hmm. in, in seven samurai they're actually ticking off on a checkboard each one that dies because it's, wow. it's and they're killing them. Like they'll let them in and they'll kill them one or two at a time and then wait and then kill one or two at a time. They had to like whittle them down. Right. Mm-hmm. That's not how this went out. This went out like 200 people on a war against seven and somehow the seven win. And <laughs> that, I, that hindered my experience because I yeah. didn't feel like it was realistic. I didn't feel like a Gatlin gun mm-hmm. from a quarter mile away with one clip of amazing like unlimited ammo and unlimited range could have the accuracy that this Gatling gun had and wreck the havoc that it did. Mm-hmm. And so those things took me out of it. Um, so it's funny cause that that's also one of the best things about the movie. And I, I don't know, I'm just, I'm, I'm voicing it all here and then I'm, I'm probably done with my more negative speak at this point, but because that it is, it's, it's, it's hard for me and I feel very, almost divisive within myself because I, I say that about the Gatling gun and I loved, <laughs> I loved the fact that they had a Gatling gun. I thought it was awesome. And I thought, you know, the way in which the Gatling gun takes out two of our heroes while they're trying to protect another one mm-hmm. riding up to get it was one of the best scenes in the entire film. Yeah. But yet part of me, you know, struggles with that. So yeah, yeah, that, that's, that's kind of where I'm at. I, I'm still thinking about it. I think it's a film I need to see again. Yeah. I, so I want to address those three things because those are the three elements that I actually thought were great about the movie. And this is, and, and, and I, I love it. I love the fact that um, you brought those things up. One, Bogue, the, the villain in the movie. I don't know if you noticed this, but he's used very sparingly. He's in that opening scene. He's in a scene later uh, in Sacramento, and then he's at the end. Okay, so most of the movie, uh, probably two thirds of the movie, he's not in. He's in the back third. Of the, that's the most screen time I think he had. He's in charge of so many men. 
he's got so much money. And I think like, and, and he, and he wants it just to honestly, like what Michael Caine said in, in the dark Knight. I think he just wants to watch the world burn. I think he loves power. Mm-hmm. And I think there's a, I think there's a scene when he is visited by one of the guys from, from the town when he's in Sacramento and he basically says something like, you know how I got this way? You know how, how I got all this? I didn't do it by fighting. I, I did it basically by being persuasive. And in that moment, I think I realized that, that Bogue is not a fighter necessarily. I mean, the entire fight sequence at the end, he's just standing there. Oh, he yeah. He sends all of his men there. And when they and, go one-on-one, you know... There's no question. There's no question. He's going down. Yeah, and he knows it too, and I think that's the beauty of his performance. Exactly. And then, uh, and, and so that's, I, he's a character that I really enjoyed. I enjoyed how Fuqua wrote him, or how the writers wrote him. What I also loved was this extreme style of storytelling. And I, it starts, it starts with shooting. <laughs> it starts with, I mean, over-the-top sequences. Um, I don't know if the if the original the 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 original Magnificent Seven had this much humor. Oh gosh, much, no, no. That, okay. that's a big. That's that's like the huge, yeah, huge difference in these two yeah. film, in these films. So so tonally it's different, but the extreme form of storytelling. It I think I mentioned a couple of weeks ago about my appreciation for the Mission Impossible franchise and oh, yeah. what it's done to from the very beginning suspend your disbelief that oh this can't really happen and i started thinking about this i started going can seven guys take on like two to three hundred men on their own probably not but in this movie they can (laughs) and that's part of why i was a little saddened emotionally when by the end we really only had three left three of the seven Four, four were killed. I'm like, no, 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 that, no. That's not supposed to happen. They're the, the Magnificent Seven. They should, they should all live. And so that was a little disjointed for me, but not, not for my detriment of the movie. It was like I was so into the fact that this movie was, was really just like <laughs> it, it, it felt like good guys will win for, for the most part. And then when I started seeing like um, Good Night get shot, and blown away, you know, when I saw his partner go down, and then when I saw uh, Faraday go down, I was like, whoa, <laughs> there's some real sacrifice here. There's some real lives being lost. This isn't just a a fun, happy, just action-filled Western. There was some real heart in this. And the to me, when when I watched that, I had this combination of fist pump moments, get them, and heck yeah, and then a little bit of despair. In fact, I remember talking about this with my wife afterwards. We were uh, we were driving uh, to dinner afterwards, and she said, "You know, I can't believe that those guys died. I mean, they're the Magnificent Seven. They're hmm. just the regular three or something like that." <laughs> and I was like, "Yeah, I, I was expecting something, and I got something else." But it was a good thing. It was it was an expectation that that I was surprised by, and I thought that that Fuqua and his, his crew of, of, of creatives were just, that's where I thought they really shined is that they, you said it earlier. Um, how did he, how'd you word it? You said his, not his version of the story, but the story he wanted to tell was this. And I think what he did was he said, 
this is what the, the original had, and I want to use those elements, but I want to tell my story. And I think that's okay. I think it's okay to, to refresh something and keep those ideas that you want to keep in there and add your touch of, of, uh, of personality to it. And I thought it turned out to be a, a phenomenal product. Yeah, I, th- I, th- I agree that I think, you know, they should definitely, I, I don't, I don't want to see filmmakers hindered at all. And that's, that's, that's where I'm having such a hard time just in general with this movie and dealing with my reactions to it because I, I've never been a proponent of, or a supporter, excuse me, of, uh, you know, stifling creativity. Um, I just did not connect with it. You know, I mean, I, I can't, I can't fake it. I can't say that I, I mean, I agree that we needed to lose some, I, I mean, that has to happen. And that's, that's yeah. something that does happen in the other films too. Um, it's a very important part of it that they can't all make it. It, it makes us feel better. And I had a hard time uh, with the exception of maybe, maybe the good night and Billy moment. Mm-hmm. Um, I bought that. I bought that. I bought that heart and soul probably uh i would say because they bought it too (laughs) (laughs) i'm I'm in the middle of my one big praise and you you make a joke um no (laughs) anyway seriously though like you know because of good night leaving and his cowardice and his um the way his character is is built um to be a, a war hero with all of this experience but then get scared and not be able to deal with that um ethan hawk handled that role um it's been done in the others and, and he did it very well. And, um, I love that unique relationship between him and Billy. That's something new, by the way, that's fresh. That's a, that's a fresh take on those two characters. Um, and I loved it. I loved that part of it. Um, Billy and, and good night being kind of partners and at the same time, very, cl- very clearly friends. Yeah. Uh, it, it's, tr- it's shown to be that way. Uh, so anyway, their, their death scene, to me is like very important because he comes back to fight for something, right? He leaves and then realizes I can't do this. I can't leave him alone. And and I believe he's coming back for the guys. I don't necessarily think he's coming back because he thinks he needs to save the town. And that was something I struggled with through the film is why these guys are here. Um, It's a much different scenario than the past films. And what I was used to, I was used to seeing these crew up, scenes where you know guys are are being recruited to come and join this they're not being kind of bribed they're not being you know like vasquez is there because denzel tells him you have to (laughs) you don't have a choice (laughs) like he doesn't choose really of his own free will very similar to faraday faraday has he doesn't really choose of his own free will either he just doesn't have a horse so he kind of has to come along and so that was that was a little a creative choice i didn't like Um, and which, and for me, it made it harder when Faraday has his big scene. I didn't react to it the same emotionally as maybe I would have if I bought more into his reason for sacrifice. Right. So I think, I think honestly where I land on that, and even just talking through it right now from a positive standpoint is that what I'm, what I'm sensing as I, as I process this in the moment is these guys did this for each other more so than in the, in the source materials In the source materials, most of what they did was for the town. But I see a lot of 
the the seven doing things for the seven in this. Does that make sense? What yeah. I'm saying, and I, and I think that's okay. I'm not I'm not knocking that. Now that I I'm starting to kind of work through that, like you know, Faraday's sacrifice is not because he wants to save the hundreds of town people that he doesn't know. He's doing it because his guys need him. Um, in that moment, I mean, yes, the ultimate goal is saving the town. I hope I'm articulating this correctly, but it feels like they do a lot of things for each other more yeah. so than the past films. Well, it's it's important to realize this that um, that uh, Emma's character says something. I believe she says it in the trailer, and then it's obviously well, duh, it's in the movie too. But she says um, <laughs> she says uh, she he says something. I think he says, says, "Do you, do you seek, seek revenge?" Revenge. She goes, "I seek I seek righteousness as as we all should, but revenge will do." To me. That's Fuqua saying, I'm not being apologetic about what this movie is going to be. This is a revenge movie. We want our town back. And for these guys, I think, I'm going to agree with you in, in, in this statement that I think Fuqua starts a lot of stuff that he doesn't finish, particularly with backstory. Every person in that Magnificent Seven, save Vasquez maybe, has an interesting teaser of a backstory. You know? You've got, um, gosh, I love the names in this movie, and I can't remember half of them. So, so you got, got, go ahead. I've, I've got them, so go ahead. Okay. So you've got uh, Indian, Indian guy. I'm going to sound so racist when I say this. Indian guy and black dude. No, you got Chisholm. You got Red. Uh, what's it? Red. Uh, what's it, the the Indian guy's name? <laughs> I I don't remember. I don't either. This is the one I don't know. Hold on. I'm gonna I'm gonna cheat and look at my notes here. But you have you have Good Night. And he's got an interesting story that we we, we get a, t- a taste of. Mm-hmm. Faraday's got a little one. And then at the end, we find out that Chisholm actually has a, a history, mm, yeah. which his is actually paid, not because he gets a chance to just torture Bogue, but because there's an interesting point, uh, there's an interesting moment when he's telling his story to Bogue, and you hear, this is where the sound editing is fantastic. You actually hear echoes of screams, almost like you're hearing his memories of his town being pillaged and his family being killed. I thought that was amazing. That's good stuff. His his was the only one that I think really felt paid off. The other ones, there was, there was enough there that you're like, what, what, wait, 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 what, what, where are they coming from? And, and what's that guy's story all about? You're hinting at these things. And yet I almost want little 45 minute stories about these guys uh, before they before they met up, because I feel like the characters have become interesting enough, but you're teasing us with this backstory that you don't really give us more of. Oh, I completely agree, and it's Red Harvest, by the way. Red um, Harvest, there he is. Yeah, um, you know. Oh, and the other guy, Billy Rocks, because he Billy does. Rocks, he does rock. <laughs> the Asian guy, I love it. I love it. Yeah, I mean, I agree, and you know, Red Harvest to me is another enigma of the film. I there's. I, I'm going to say this so many times, I think, is that I, I simultaneously love things about this and I simultaneously hated th- or, and hated things about this. You know, the inclusion of, first of all, the, ethni- the multi-ethnicity of this cast and the is brilliant. It's fantastic. It, it never, to me, once feels like a cultural force. Like, like we see so much, so much these days. We see movies trying to hit all of the buckets, right, to make everybody happy in a PC kind of way. Clearly, this does that. 
but it doesn't feel like it. I, I don't believe there is a single moment where Chisholm is recognized as a black man in this movie. He mm-hmm. Denzel leads it as a black man. It never is brought up. It's not like I think I read something earlier that made this point where in Unforgiven you see this same thing happen, but the black man it's noted like this is a black guy, right? Mm-hmm. In the West, it's the black cowboy. Well, this is no no. This is just he's just Chisholm. <laughs> you know, there's no issues with that at all. And even when there is, it's dealt with generally pretty well. There's the you know there's nothing with Billy that that comes up in a in a negative light in my opinion. The the jokes between um, Faraday and Vasquez are pretty great. You know, he's like, oh, well, thank goodness we got us a Mexican. Like, that's one of my favorite lines of the movie. And just because it's so, it was so, that was like a genuine laugh because that felt like what would be said in that time. And that those two guys bond, right? Yeah. So it's very clearly not a true racism thing. It's kind of like working through those stereotypes and then they end up becoming friends. Yeah. And Vasquez is very sad. In the well, end. they can't. The the whole idea when you when you mentioned that the seven were doing it for each other, um, I could see that because they came together, not because they all liked each other. And some of that sarcasm from Faraday, you know, was was sort of kind of the personification of that. But they understood that they were all sort of outcasts. They were all different. I mean, even even uh, Billy and, and and Goody's relationship. I think he he mentions while he's getting his little his little. His little shave, which I thought was kind of cool. Yeah, uh, that's good. You, you see <laughs> that conversation. I'm gonna say this: Goodnight's character, his, uh, Ethan Hawke's character, is my favorite. I thought Goodnight. He reminded me a lot of uh, Doc Holliday from Tombstone. Oh, that's a great comparison. Um, and and I thought that there's a particular moment, uh, as a side note, when he's he's mentioning something and he looks at Faraday, and Faraday doesn't know what he's talking about. He goes. I'll try to use one syllable words next time. And he says, what, what's, what's a, a syllable? syllable? Right. <laughs> and, but, but you have this relationship with, with Goody and, and Billy. And I think again, having only seen this just two days ago, I can't remember. I couldn't write down any notes, but it's, it's as if he, when he was introducing like why good, you know, why, why Billy's with him, he mentioned not racism, but, it seems like all these guys are sort of outcasts in some way, maybe not necessarily with their, with their race, although in some cases that is, mm-hmm. I mean, even when, I mean, even when Chisholm walks into that town, that opening scene where he walks into the town where, um, uh, where Faraday is, he's not welcome, but I don't think it's because he's black. I think it's because he's well known and because they know he's there to make an arrest or pick up a bounty or something like that. But all of these guys are essentially loners I mean, mm-hmm. save Billy and, and Goody, but even among them, I mean, they're they're loners among other people that are that they are around, and I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing that these guys ended up their their motivation became helping each other and doing it for each other because they knew that the you know the 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 extension of that was saving the town, and and I think that was a very realistic thing. I mean, if I'm an out, outlaw, if I'm trying to you know, avoid going to prison. Uh, and some guy asked me, Hey, you know what? As long as you ride with me and you, you know, you, you'll probably die, but as long as you, uh, if you make you know, it, come here, if you make it, then I mean, that's enough for me. I don't necessarily think that's a dishonest motivation. I think that these guys all knew that saving the town was, was a part of it, but 
the the payoff for each one of them was that they found value in, in one another because of their commonalities and their differences. Yeah, I, I like I like the way that you you say that. Um, I, I mean, I, I can't agree more. The if <laughs> to go real back real quick to the the whole red harvest thing that 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 bugs me again with the like both sides of this. I love this character. I love that he exists. What I do not love. Oh, this is it. We were we were talking about this. Uh, before the podcast about how, you know, the Batman Superman Martha moment. Mm-hmm. And I said that something happened in this film that made me feel like, Oh, come on. That was just like that. This <laughs> is the moment. It's when Denzel's character Chisholm and comes up to red harvest. And it's just like, uh, Oh, you, you eat raw meat. Oh, I eat raw meat. Okay. He's with us. Like, I, and I get it. I get it. I know why they did it. Like, I understand that, you know, <laughs> that culturally I understand he was proving himself to red harvest, but there just doesn't seem to be any real motivation for this guy to be there. Like other than the fact that he just randomly comes across a group of people and he's a loner and it's like, Oh yeah, random group of people. So I don't have to be alone. I'll just go with this random group of people. Like there's no motivation there. And the fact that his story culminates with the, such a cliched one-on-one fight with the only other Indian guy in the movie. Come on. Like that part really bugged me Mm -hmm. Um, because I just, Again, <laughs> fantastic addition to the cast, right? I don't know if you liked Red Harvest's character. I loved him. I thought he was great. I thought he was awesome, right? I would have loved to see him be more than there to fight the other Indian guy. Yeah. And that, you I mean, and you saw that coming. You I mean, did. And that was... When he joined, you were like, he's going to... It's going to come down to he's going to be the one that takes out uh, axe-throwing crazy, crazy Indian. Yeah. You know? <laughs> and, and it, you know... it. I get. I, I don't even mind him taking him out, from from a story perspective. You know, we've seen this done before, and it, it's 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 a it's a valid tale of, you know, he's defend he's defending the what he believes should be the honest way in which his people should act, the honor that that the Indian should, um, should show, and by doing that, he's fighting that battle. Um, so I think that's important. I just wish he'd kind of gotten something additional to that. I- I can agree with that. And that goes back to the idea that some of these stories felt truncated, that the backstories oh, of these yeah. guys. There we go. Yeah. So maybe just, it's weird because maybe longer would have been better in this case. I don't know. Well, I, I don't know. Longer would have been better. I think that in some way, and, and this is this this, this is where I, I, I appreciate art and I appreciate artists, that it's difficult when you have an ensemble cast to create uh, a reason to like all those guys, to give them all history and to go back to, I mean, that was that was something that was criticized about BVS was it was just so full of everything, and I think if we got that in the Magnificent Seven, that it would become a two and a half three hour movie, and it might fall into that same challenge. And so Fuqua and Company, I think they decided this is how much we need it. And I'm wondering if there's going to be if there would be a director's cut where we get a little bit more history of and backstory in these guys, maybe some flashback sequences. I don't know. Interesting. But, yeah. But you know, it left me wanting. In, in a which, good way for you, in a, yeah. in a good way, but it, but it's, but it's somewhat negative because if I'm going, this is all I'm going to get. This is all I see. I have to become okay with not getting everything that I want, and if that translates to it not being a complete story, that's definitely a subjective but valid, you know, opinion. And I'm on the fence about that. You know, I, I walked away going, I think I might want to own this, and as I'm processing it more I'm like maybe not I don't know and it's not because I'm being swayed one way or the other I think it's just 
you know, if you're going to give me something, there's this, there's this, there's this threshold of being able to say you're giving me enough to tease me and make me want more, but knowing that I'm not going to get it, I think can be somewhat anticlimactic and rude. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like if you if you want to watch it again because you want to pick up on some things, but yeah, you, there's nothing extra to pick up on or something. Right. You can right. you can affect rewatchability. Um, well, let me tell you, I, I will probably own this if for no other that's reason. Good. Than to watch one particular scene for personal reasons, and it was the scene with Faraday and the stable master. Do you remember that scene in particular where oh, he's trying to oh, get? Oh, I his do. Horse? Where he's trying to get his horse? Yeah. Yeah. yeah what did you think of the stable master? Was he? Would you think he I, was? I, I mean, I thought it was pretty ballsy, to be honest. I, I was shocked that the stable master was willing to try and uh, stand up to him. <laughs> well, I mean, yeah, especially being the height that he was. Yeah. <laughs> uh, just as a side note, I know that guy. No, I do. His name is Ed Lowry. Whoa, he's an actor here in uh, in the Central Arkansas area. He told me um, about a year ago. He had mentioned we were talking, and he said uh, he was going to be in the. Um, he was he was down in New Orleans or wherever they were shooting it, and he said uh, <laughs> he said, "Yeah, I don't know if they're gonna they're gonna use my scene or not, but." I was down there and it was a great experience. And, and so I looked on IMDb immediately after he said that and it said stable master and I'd forgotten about it until, until the, uh, um, the start of the movie. And I was like, Oh gosh, I got to look for him. Okay. I don't know if he has a speaking part or, or whatever. And then sure enough, this, <laughs> this scene pops up and I'm like, dude, it's him. It's him. And I turned to my wife and I said, do you, say, do you know who that is? She goes, no. And I told her and she goes, Oh my gosh, really? <laughs> and it's just, it's so cool. It's so, so cool. Just, to, I mean, and not because I know a famous person, but I know this guy's heart. I know his drive and his passion and his ability to act. So to see him on the big screen <laughs> going toe to toe, banter wise with Chris, Chris Pratt. Pratt, it's just so cool, man. That is, I, I thought it was great. That is awesome so, so awesome ed, so ed if you ever hear this man i'm so proud of you i am so incredibly proud of you yes did a great job i i have i loved it as well um uh, i, I want to make sure we you know touch on the the member of the magnificent seven that i believe was not supposed to be part of the seven but very well could have by the end of the film um that i think was a big positive for me in this movie and that was Emma's character. Oh, yeah. She was awesome. Okay, good. So we agree completely on this. Um, yes. In fact, as they were building, as they were going through that first third or first half of the movie, building the team, building the seven, I was like, is, is she the seven? I thought because she, I was, kept, I thought I she kept, was legitimately going to be one, too. Yeah. I yeah. kind of like, okay, there are seven horses. And then they meet up with uh, <laughs> with the uh, with uh, Red Harvest. And I was like, oh, darn. Oh, no. Come on. <laughs> well, and as, as harsh as I've been on some of uh, Fuqua's you know, choices that they didn't work for me. Um, this one actually did. I, I love that she's not one of the seven, but she is like, she is a character that is out. That was an addition. Like, her character is not something that's in the other two films. I that's that's all I can say. Like she is a n- new idea, new creation of having. Now there are, there are characters in every film that go out to get the, the mercenary, to hire them and bring them back to save the town. Like that's a, that happens in all of them. Right. But for it to be her and the way that she takes ownership of this 
and also the way in which she forces it even when the town doesn't want it. So in the other two films, I'll tell you, um, it, it generally there's a big argument that takes place in both of them. Most of the town doesn't want to do it. They just want to give up and give in, which is kind of what happened here too. Um, and then ultimately they're talked into it. But she just kind of goes, you know, and we find out later they're like, what, you you did that? Like you, some of the townsfolks are like, we didn't, how can you speak for us? And she's like, somebody had to, yeah. right? Like yeah. She, and I love her divisiveness, her, or not divisiveness, that's the wrong word, her um, decisiveness, her um, confidence, her strength. Assertiveness. Assertiveness, like everything about her character, other than maybe her outfit making her kind of look like she was also the you know, local, <laughs> I don't, I don't, I didn't think she needed to, I thought she could be a little bit more covered modest, modest. for a widow. Um, but whatever, I mean, it didn't go, there was no love story, which I, I thought was great. It never devolved into that. And I'm glad, yeah. um, cause that's something the other two films have that I, I didn't really connect as much with anyway. So I'm pretty glad he, he kind of bolted that out of the story, but I just loved her. I thought she was fantastic. And with the exception of her final voiceover, I thought she did a great job. That that to me kind of threw me a little bit. I was like, eh, you don't have to put the icing on. You don't have to put the exclamation point on a movie that I thought had a really nice, you know, sentence ending mm-hmm. uh, scene. So, but her being strong fit well into. I think you mentioned earlier the fact that each one of these characters um, was diverse. They were they weren't necessarily minorities, but they were. They were not necessarily part of the populace of, of the world they lived in. The marginalized. Marginalized, yeah. And they each brought something to the table. And I love that you brought up the fact that she could have been one of the seven. And and in my opinion, she should have been. So yeah, plus one or whatever. <laughs> the Magnificent Eight or seven plus one. Yeah. So, I mean, like I said, there's there's definitely things I enjoyed, you know, the the fight scenes, awesome action direction. Uh, Fuqua's action directing has always been phenomenal, and it's definitely on display here. You know, her, Chris Pratt for me, again, another double-edged sword for me was that he brought great laugh-out-loud moments to the movie, and it's not what I wanted out of the movie. (laughs) So at the same time, I loved, I was laughing out loud (laughs) at his lines. Mm -hmm. I got tired of them. Even though I was still laughing, I was like, I don't want, this to be all your character is. And it mm. kind of felt like that was all his character was right uh, up until that final, final scene. And even then he almost goes out with a, like a joke, you know, <laughs> you know Christian. what I mean? <laughs> Afterwards, my wife said, magic she said, trick. yeah, <laughs> you want to see a magic. It's like, he's the joker, right? Um, my wife and I, when we were talking about it afterward, she said, well, what if, what if they just shot him? You know, like right. what if he, yeah, they should have, go, go, I go, babe, this is this is the Fuqua story he's telling. Yes, he's like exactly. over the top, and you have to kind of suspend your disbelief. This is a Mission Impossible in the West. This is not Tombstone. This is not Wyatt Earp. This is, and that may be um, part of the reason why your perspective is what it is because it's not a typical Western. Oh this no, is a, this is a rock and roll Western. I'm not going to compare it to something like Young Guns, but I'm going to say I was going to say it's the closest thing to Young Guns. We it had. really is. And for me, I didn't enjoy Young Guns like you did. In that weird, um, in that weird, I love because, young guns. I'm a young because, guns apologist because it felt, I mean, because it felt too rock and roll to me. But this is a guy who doesn't, you know, I'm a guy that doesn't really like a lot of westerns, and the ones that I do have specific things to them. And for some reason, I gravitated towards the Magnificent Seven as being somewhat rock and roll, and and still somewhat because it, it didn't feel epic. It didn't feel like, oh, this is a western. But 
the characters were were Western enough to make me believe that I'm in a Western. But you could have easily put this in like New York or in some other setting that wasn't necessarily a Western because the story itself obviously can be lifted and put somewhere else in a different kind of environment. Yeah, it's it's so funny. I I would legitimately raise it two stars on my personal rating meter type, you know, just for if, if it didn't have the same title, I mean, I'm I'm not kidding you. Like if you took the title away from this film and you called it something completely different and didn't play the awesome credits, uh, a magnificent seven score in the credits, which why did you wait till that to the credits to play the best part of music in your movie? I don't know, but, um, but if you would not called it the Magnificent Seven, I would like this film so much more, mm-hmm. and that's unfortunate for me. Yeah, can I just say this about the music? Because I know that we we mentioned this sometimes, but um, James Horner, the late James Horner, passed away during the production of this film, and so I don't know if you noticed this when um, the credits rolled, but James Horner was not the only composer. So there was another. I can't remember the guy's name. But I was asking a friend of mine today about that, and he said, yeah, what took place was after Horner passed away, a bunch of his constituents, a bunch of people in the same musical world took over and began to co-compose the rest of the music. And it was arranged by this this other, I I wish I could give him credit because I can't think of his name, but this was essentially a collaborative effort with other composers in the music industry and the score. And I thought that was so beautiful because Super the music cool. itself was just was very cool. And and again, not being familiar with the theme musically of the original, it didn't bother me that I didn't hear that. I'm until sure the, it didn't. <laughs> and and a part and part of me is going, look, good for you, man. Good for for trying to be be a director and being this creative team that um, that wants to give something f- fresh to a new audience and not try to say this is the magnificent seven that you don't know, but we're going to, you know, whatever. And I, so I just, I, I thought it was good. I would agree right there is, is where I have to land ultimately is that he didn't try to improve a story. Mm-hmm. He tried to tell it differently for a new audience. And that's, I just don't happen to be that audience. And that's not my fault. It's not a negative on the film. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just my experience because I'm the guy that, that it's not necessarily made for me. You know what right. I mean? And it's every, we've talked about this so many times, not every movie is for every person. Yeah. Um, and I am, I'm stoked that you really loved it as much as you did. And you had as much fun with it as you did. I did. Uh, I did. Uh, go ahead. Well, I was just going to say, do you want to get into our, uh, connecting points and I can, I can lead that. Yeah, yeah, go for it, man. So, I don't know if I mentioned this earlier, but I had a rough time finding one. Nice. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I know. Shocker. You've heard this podcast. But you love the movies you so much. You thought I had so many. It's weird because usually, again, this is strange for me, I usually have to struggle to find a connecting point because I loved it so much I can't pick one. And this one, I like. it's the reverse. I like. I don't know. Nothing really connected with me. But there was a, there were a couple moments that I I, I just want to mention these. I, I, these are not necessarily what I would normally say is my connecting point. I I truly didn't have one, and that is what it is, and it's okay. Um, but I I loved the preacher coming up to Chisholm after Chisholm has gone to the crew 
after Goody has left and said, if you guys are going to leave, leave, right? Like, here it is. We're on the night. We're we're in dawn. They're coming. And we're probably going to die. And we need to make a choice. And I'm not going anywhere, and you guys have to pick. And and then, you know, I love the very subtle ways in which they just stay. They don't make a big speech about it. They just stay. But after that, uh, the preacher comes up to Chisholm, and he thanks him. And he, he tells him, thank you for putting your life on the line for us mm-hmm. and for doing what you're doing. And so for me, that was probably the closest to a connecting point that I got. Um, I, I resonated with that because I felt like that was a genuine gratefulness coming from that uh, that man to Chisholm and especially because the preacher had kind of been against things in the beginning um, you know and it, it just to have someone from town come up and so just say thank you like to acknowledge what very well was going to happen tomorrow morning and say thank you for being here no matter what happens I appreciate you I thought that was a beautiful thing yeah it was beautiful. Just a just a great kind of calm before the storm. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. And 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 a great speech by him. I like the preacher a lot too. From the very beginning, yes. I really like the preacher. Um, even though he didn't have a lot of lines. And as I mentioned before, another person that did not have a lot of lines was uh, uh, Barth- Bartholomew Bogue. Is that? I can't remember if his first name was. Bar- it was BB. I know it, it was, was Bartholomew a- Bogue, played by the amazing Peter Sarsgaard, who's great. Yes. And and that leads me to my connecting point. I was actually really surprised at what my connecting point was. I, um, you know, Peter Sarsgaard, I have not seen him in a lot of things. Mm-hmm. But I think that Fuqua and company or the casting, whoever was in charge of saying, get this guy, understood a less is more approach to him. Uh, because as I mentioned, he had maybe a handful of lines. The, 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 longest amount of screen time he had was his confrontation with Denzel and I think that because of those things my connecting point was the opening scene of him walking into the church wow with his men barging in and already we're getting a sense of invasion Mm. these guys come in with guns and he gives this this is this is this is he was creeping me out a little bit because he felt <laughs> very creepy. He felt a little bit like, and I'm, I'm, I'm saying this with all due respect. He felt a little bit like uh, Heath Ledger's Joker, not because he was insane, not because he was just. I mean, he might have been insane, but because of how calm he was, how nonchalant he was as he was saying things like his speech and talking about land. You know, he pulled out that jar and asked that kid to come up and reach it. I'm like, what's in that jar? Is there a scorpion in that jar? Is he going to kill him? You know, I, thought, I thought it was a scorpion. Yeah. And so he brings it and he pulls it out and he says, basically, he makes this like overly dramatic speech about how what you call land and what you call valuable, I call dust. And then he finishes it. It's a, it's a, it, it's a sales pitch, $20 for your land. And, and people just start erupting. And I'm like, well, that guy's, that guy's awful. But here's where it hit me is when they come out of the church and um, Emma's husband just lays into him verbally. He says, you don't know what you're talking about. You, you haven't been here or whatever. And he walks up to him and he just goes, bang, just shoots him mm-hmm. dead. And then people start freaking out. There's a woman that takes off and then, 
you know, crazy Indian guy throws his axe at her. I'm like, oh my gosh. And you see, you see Bogue and he's not, he hadn't flinched. He's like, this is a Tuesday for me. You know, it's, and I'm just like, at this point, I, I mentally stood up in my chair and I said, I want to just throw the middle finger at him. I was like, I hope you die. I hope you die. That, and and that's, maybe that's what maybe that's what I was supposed to be feeling. Because, exa- I bet it was. Because we did not see him again for probably at least 45 minutes. Oh, yeah. We're getting all of this story about him. You know, of all I've said about um, not having enough backstory for these other guys, we're getting Bogue's backstory just in little tidbits. I mean, not a ton. And then the next time we see him is in Sacramento, and he makes that you know, arrogant speech to what's his name before he shoots him. And he's just, he's showing us that he can do whatever he wants. He's Bogue. Nobody's going to mess with him. And more and more, you're just like, huh, just ready for you to go down. So when he has to face off against Denzel, it wasn't if he was going to get killed. It was how <laughs> and, and how creative Denzel was going to get with him. And that scene uh, helped pay that first scene off because Denzel's like you know, choking him and choking him. And then when Emma shoots him, that little line that Denzel says, Amen. You know, <laughs> he yeah. says, Amen. You know, which, you know, basically you know, translates to so be it. Yeah. And I, I just think that a character like Bogue, he could have been so much more. He could have been written so much, like, with so much more dialogue. But I think his absence, both on screen and without a lot of speech, made those moments with him uh, that much more just heavy and weighted in that first scene when he just had no problem shooting people just on a whim and making it sound like, Oh gosh, well that's what I do after breakfast. You know, it was just, (laughs) I I hated him. I really hated him. And that to me just like, I guess that's my connecting point (laughs) because I wanted revenge just like everybody, just like Emma did. Nothing wrong with that, man. That is, (laughs) that is pretty awesome. I actually love that that is your connecting point and then you got to talk about that scene because I would agree that set the stage for everything that was going to take place and for the the unique vision that Fuqua was going to going to go with uh for this retelling and it it fit what he eventually did the rest of the movie perfectly um it was the perfect setup and yeah the casting phenomenal uh it was very easy to hate Peter Sarsgaard's character, which I did as well. I mean, it was, it was great, great seeing him go out. You just, Good. you just wanted him to go out so, so bad. And and I agree. It was so cool to like, I love how you, how you mentioned that, you know, it was more about like what, how, what creative way is he going to get killed? Then, it, <laughs> yeah. then, then is he going to get killed? And sometimes that's a negative when you're expecting a death to happen. And it's kind of like, Oh, this is, you know, we know it's coming, but in this case it was okay because we were so invested or we so wanted him to die that we didn't need to be surprised by it. We just wanted to know how. Yeah. Well, so overall, I'm just going to say my impressions, um, you know, are a little bit higher having been able to talk through this with you. That's one of the things I love about the podcast and having the opportunity to have these conversations and movie therapy. (laughs) it, It really is. And, you know, for anyone listening before I, we were doing podcasting, uh, and, and creating this show, this is this is largely what I personally did. Like I listened to podcasts because I didn't have a lot of people to talk to about movies, and so hearing others do what we just did and talk through these helped me process what my own thoughts and feelings were, and you know learn where I may have misunderstood something or 
um, pick up on something that I didn't catch the first time. And so I will say that, you know, my opinion of the movie has come up a bit being able to talk through it. And, and that's a good thing. I think that's a good thing. And I think that, you know, Fuqua made a very entertaining and fun film uh, for what it is. And I'm, I'm pumped that so many people are having a good time with it. Yeah, me too. So good job. Fuqua. Fuqua. All right. Well, that's it for us this week. Uh, you can find me on social media if you want to you know, have this conversation with me further. Uh, I won't be surprised one bit if some of you do, because I know some of our regular listeners have posted reviews that are quite a bit different than maybe what I said tonight uh, on the show. <laughs> so, you know, I would love to continue this conversation. Let's let's talk about it. This is the, the beauty of this whole thing. So. You can find me all over the internet at Aaron L. White, A-A-R-O-N-E-L-W-H-I-T-E, or you can reach us through the show's uh, hashtag, not hashtag, the show's uh, Twitter and Facebook, at FeelinFilm, F-E-E-L-I-N-F-I-L-M, uh, or FeelinFilm.com, the website. There's links there to everything you could possibly need. Thanks, Aaron. And if you want to dialogue with me a little bit, you can catch me on Twitter at Shoeless Patch, S-H-O-E-L-E-S-S-P-A-T-C-H. I'm also at uh, feelinfilm.com. <laughs> I'm there too. Yes, you are. I am. I'm everywhere. Uh, Facebook.com slash Shoeless Patch. And you can also check out my website if you want. Uh, this is patch.com. I'd love to hear from you. Uh, look forward to seeing what uh, you, our listeners, are having to say in the Facebook group. So come and come and talk to us. I also wanted to mention next week's episode. We're going to, we're going to hit a classic and, um, it is a, uh, it is a Mel Brooks classic, young Frankenstein to sort of kick off the, uh, the Halloween season. Hopefully it'll bring in the cold weather because we're still in the nineties here in the South. And I'm hoping that maybe a, a Halloween esque movie will help bring in some of that cold weather. And uh, also, it's got Gene Wilder in it, so I'm excited about revisiting one of uh, the movies of our late, great actor that we love. I am excited about it, too, because I haven't seen it. Yes! Yeah, this is uh, another blind spot that I'm going to get to get, uh, <laughs> rectify this year, so I'm pumped. Anytime, I, I think I will say this, uh, listeners. Anytime one of us mentions that, I think the other person, and I'm going to speak for both of us, I think the other person gets nervous <laughs> if like one of us has seen something the other one hasn't because we're like, oh, I hope you love it. <laughs> yeah, it is. It is very unnerving because you, you want your best friend to love the same things you love. And, you know, 90% of the time we probably do. Yeah. Um, and so when that 10% comes, it's like, oh, man, bummer. But yeah. I, yeah, I fully expect to enjoy the heck out of this one. I'm going to be watching it with my kids and can't wait. Good stuff, man. Good stuff. Well, uh, do as we say, not as we do. And uh, (laughs) until next time, stay positive. And keep feeling film.